so God has really provided us with this opportunity to, to listen to something huge from him. And I, and I hope we embrace it. I, my prayer is, is what this warm-up prayer has been during this service. Of, of He has something so earth-shattering for us that in, in some ways it could even be offensive. In, in some ways it can, it can challenge our thinking. In, in such a way that we have to stop and take pause and go, what do you want, God? I, I, I think my thinking is all about me. And, and so if we see that today, I, I just give praise for it because I know that God's grace and his invitation is on the other side to walk into something big. And so, you know, last week we talked about this aspect of, of God is wanting to restore the world and he's breaking down walls. And, and he's breaking down the church walls. And I, and I ran across this picture. It, it was on Facebook. Someone was selling T-shirts. But uh, it, it's just perfect. The church has left the building. <laughs> Amen? Amen? I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's got double meaning for us. The church has left the building. Break down the walls. And, and, and that's kind of what we talked about last week was that we need to be obedient to God to follow what he wants to do and recognizing it's not about a building. It's not about what we want. It's about what he wants. And if we're in that posture of obedience, then, then in fact, he can break down those walls. Now, what's interesting to me is that after you break down walls, after you have a message like that, we can actually have what, as a, as a, as a human culture, we can have sort of a collective Stockholm Syndrome. If you're not familiar, the Stockholm Syndrome is when you are actually falling in love with your captor and you don't want to go. I mean, they, they came up with that psychological term back in the 70s, but it's been throughout time, even during World War II, when they uh, liberated the concentration camps, you would think that the, the people would you know, want to leave, but they didn't want to leave. They didn't know what to do. They've been some, so programmed into being behind the walls that they couldn't move out. So, so my prayer today is that we can break the Stockholm Syndrome, that we can move out. And, and, and I want to look at that aspect of, of tearing down the walls and moving with God in, in, in looking at the aspect of what the role of the church is in a deeper way than we looked at last week. So go ahead and turn to your Bibles to the book of Hebrews with me in chapter 10. Now the book of Hebrews is is written by one of the one of the apostles or followers of Jesus uh, after his resurrection. We don't know who the author is, but we know it was written to the Hebrews, that's why it's called Hebrews. And and it's giving out all these principles for someone of a Jewish culture to understand the purpose of Jesus, to understand the nature of Jesus, to understand the trinity if you will of Jesus. And in chapter 10, after there's been great discussion prior to this about him being a priest for us and him being um, the reconciliation to God for us. In, in chapter 10 on page 900 and... Oops, I got the wrong page number. I had a wrong version as I was typing this. Forgive me. It's on page 731 of our Bibles. On, on page 731, we see this, this, uh, this section... Of, of talking about Christ, where it goes deep into our understanding about who 
restores the world and what our role is with that. And so allow me here to find the verse where I'd like to start. And let's begin at verse 8. First, Christ said, You do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. The author of Hebrews is explaining about sacrifices in the Old Testament time of how they had to buy animals and and, and pay for them and, and have them represent their sin to be sacrificed. Then God said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. He's referring to Jesus. Jesus cancels that first covenant of buying animals for sacrifice for our sins. He came to replace, to put in the second covenant, which is he's the sacrifice. For in verse 10, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. So because of Jesus, we are holy. We are, because of him and his blood, even though we have sinned, we have this position and this posture that we are made perfect by him. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms, as, as the letter is told to the Ephesians, that we are risen with him and seated on his throne. We are made holy because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. Yeah, it's good news. That's good news. Well, under that covenant... The priests and the ministers before the altar, day after day, referring to the Old Covenant, they offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, someone say Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Now, this is what I want to focus on today, because it's very similar to what we talked about last week. So the sacrifice of Jesus makes us holy. It brings us into union with God. But after that sacrifice, here's the statement of the position and the posture of Jesus. He is, look at it in verse 12, excuse me, in verse 13, he goes, there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. In verse 12, he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and now he's waiting for his enemies to be humbled. So now this this raises a question. This raises a very key question. I thought that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that his enemies were defeated. So if they're defeated, why is Jesus waiting for them to be defeated? Now, I don't want you to think about that too hard because your brain will hurt. Because... What it amounts to is that there is a distinction that is being made here between the defeating of the enemy by 
ruining his authority, by removing his authority, by claiming the authority of Jesus, by removing the authority of of human earning to gain righteousness through old sacrifice, through old covenant, that that authority has changed, that authority of the enemy having the ability to do things That authority has been defeated by Jesus. What is remaining is for the enemies to be subdued by Jesus, to be captured. Now, a way of looking at at that is just think of think of David about, you know, with, with, with the head of Goliath in his hand and he's about to chop it off. David is defeated or excuse me, Goliath is defeated but he's about to be significantly subdued. He's about to have his head removed. And so that this is what we see here in this scripture that's being proclaimed to us. If you look at, if you look at these words that are in, in Hebrews, it goes, there he waits. It's the word ekademonus, and I probably butchered that, ek, which means out of, dexomai, which is welcome. It literally means the outcome. So Jesus is, there he waits, the Greek word is Jesus' expectation. He knows that this is going to occur. And then what is going to occur is, when it says made a footstool, it literally is hypopodium, and hypo means under, podium is where you get podiatry, means feet, and it literally means under feet. Jesus expects that the enemy is going to be placed under his feet, but it hasn't happened yet. They've been, the authority is gone, but they haven't been subdued. They haven't been captured. They haven't been held under. And we see the same thing in the books of, book of Acts that we talked about last week in Acts chapter three. Uh, we, we see that for he must remain in heaven, as Peter said, until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. And we spoke about restoration. Restoration is, is two things. Restoration of his, of his domain, restoration of his kingdom, restoration of his ruling everywhere, and of course, restoration of, of back to relationship with God, restoration of back to the, how it was before the fall. And so God is, Jesus is in this place in heaven waiting for that restoration, waiting for that time. So the question becomes, if Jesus has defeated the authority, that it doesn't have the final authority, but it's still got some, some, it's still got some action going on, still has activity going on, and Jesus is waiting for that domain to rule, he's waiting for that subdue of the enemy, the question begs, who is going to subdue the enemy? Who is that? Now, it's actually two groups. One is Jesus at the second coming, the final restoration, the final subduing. But here, here's where I want to blow your mind a little bit. Oftentimes as Christians, we find ourselves stuck in woe and stuck in struggle so much that we just go, just come, Jesus, Lord, come. Bail me out. Calgon, take me away. You know, just, just poof me out of here. Just, just remove this. When we do that, we are falling short 
of the plan and the destiny and the power of God. He decides when that is. For us to even want it and to, and to have some small degree of reliance upon it, in a way, it's, it's a blasphemy of saying, you can't do anything through me to change the situation. Your power is useless in small things. You cannot move in this world through the body of Christ. The only solution is if you came and restored it all by yourself. I'm done. I'm out. Please come. So that might be a little bit of a pressing for some of you, but I just want you to stew in that for a second. Because I've been stewing in it all week, so it's your turn. Just think about that. So, because the other group of people that are supposed to, the other entity, the other party, that's supposed to subdue the enemy is us. It is the church. Look what Paul said to the church in Ephesus in chapter 3. Very clearly. God's purpose in all this that he was describing of, of, of the way of life and the following of Jesus and, and, and the proclaiming of God's news was to use the church, everyone say ecclesia, to display his wisdom in its rich variety. You don't have to say this word. The rich variety is polypoquitos, multifaceted color, to all the unseen rulers and authority in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. His plan, his purpose is that he will use the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones who are to act as the legislature for God's kingdom, the ones who have been called out and given his authority, given his power to go into the culture and to change the culture for the new kingdom, that group is supposed to subdue the powers and the authorities that Jesus is waiting for. I'm not sure if we can go so far to say that Jesus will not come until we do our job, because the truth is that also Scripture also says that he subdues everything as well. But what's really, really darn clear is that we've got a role to play. And so if you want to know who it is that's supposed to do this, it's us. It's the church. The church is supposed to do this. And you look at Ephesians chapter 6. It goes even a little, a little more specific of talking about these evils and authorities. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able, say able, able. say I am, able, I am able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly realm. If you are not convinced that we are in that kind of battle, let me give you two statistics of Solano County right now. Two statistics, if I may. Opioid use. Drug addiction to opioid use. Last several years, there were 275 new fatal visits, nearly fatal visits to the hospital for opioid use. 
275. There's about 12 to 14 deaths every year in Solano County. Guess how many motor vehicle deaths there are? Ten. How many homicides? About nine. There are more people, more people dying from addiction and overuse of opioids than are being hit by cars, by traffic. And it's interesting, and just in, just in my just in my little block right around the corner, someone died tragically on a motorcycle accident, and there's flowers there for them. And, and we see that all over the, in different places. You'll drive by and you see it, and you realize someone died here, and you may stop to say a prayer. It touches our heart. But there are more people dying from from drugs, and this is and more more often than not, these these have been given to people. Uh, based on legitimate premises. And, and then comes an addiction. And, and, and then death. Here's another one that's just been heavy on my heart lately as well. And those status since 2017. And this, this is a, a sober topic. But suicide. 46 suicides. Since 2017. Uh, 17 of those were youth. Ages 19 or below. Three years, 17 years. Suicide is the number 10 cause of death. And it's the only one that's increasing. Heart attack, cancer are going down. Suicide, though, is going up. For every completed attempt, there's at least 25 failed attempts. So, so that number puts us at about 1,150 Attempts. That's where someone had suicidal ideation and took action upon it. Not just ideation, not just thinking about their, about going out, but actually taking a step about it. That's 425 youth that did that. In, in Solano County, the suicide rate is about 15% per 100,000 people. In, in the whole state, it's 10%. We have a high rate, a significantly high rate, 15 to 10. That's per 100,000 people. That 15% means that 15,000 people, 15,000 people are thinking about suicide. I may have misspoken when I said suicide rate being 15%. I meant to say the, the, the ailment, if you will, of thinking of suicide is 15%. That's 15,000 people in our town alone are thinking about that. That means, and, and of that percentage, 36% of them are youth. That's 540 youth. That's 19 years or younger. Or younger. I don't just mean teenagers. I mean six-year-olds. Grade school. We are fighting a spiritual battle. Now here's what Here's what I want to open our eyes to today. First and foremost is, now that I've told you this, you're accountable for it. You have to make a choice about this. You can choose to ignore it. That's a choice. You can choose to maybe do something light about it. That's a choice. But you're, you're, now that you know this, you're, you're accountable to it. You're accountable to God 
to know that we're in a spiritual battle. We are fighting these and many other things. And we are a part of the of the restoration and part of the subduing over the enemy and his darkness over lies, over lies of identity, over lies of, of where someone can receive their peace, over lies of, of not being able to forgive, over bitterness, over the, the spirit of, of suicide, over the spirit of fear. We, 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 are, we play a role, a significant role for God to subdue those spirits. Now, I'm not just talking about doing something feasible. Yes, we need to do something feasible, but the church is called to do more than be feasible. We are called to be faithful. The church can be really, really good at taking on a situation or taking on a newness and and just... And honestly, being practical about it and making plans about it and, and putting it in our head as to what we need to do to make something better. We can look at that as this challenge for us as a church and moving has occurred to us, has, has come before us. It's easy for us to think and what strategy should take place and what we should do and what we should move around. But the essence of it is we're doing that because we're trying to overcome our fear. We're trying to take control of the situation. We have a fear over something, and so we're doing the best we can as human beings, and that is manipulate and control and, and have ideas. And we do it inadvertently, but you know, this is why, this is why God said to, to, um, to uh, Jeremiah, he said these words, if we can have on the screen. Excuse me, Isaiah, I misspoke. To Isaiah, he says, do not fear. For I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God will be able to give us the strength to overcome anything in the spiritual realm that we are fighting against. Now, it's one thing to believe this. I mean, the Bible says, fear not, do not fear, 365 times. Some of you have heard that before. One for every day of the year. It's, it's easy for us to believe. It's harder for us to live it out. Because we're really pretty dang competent people. We have, this country in particular, we have done really, really well for ourselves. We got more than two pairs of shoes. And you got more than, than, you know, 2,000 calories sitting in your pantry. You are richer than 90% of the world. Even if you don't have a home. And, and we are in this place where we want to go about things with our own power and our own strength and not live in a fullness of faith of what God has in store for us and how he wants us to proceed against these things. You look at um, you look at the, this aspect of 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 God calling us to to follow Him and just to trust Him wholly, and and you see it's really really clear. Jesus tells us to trust in Me and be faithful people. He talks about us being a sheep or a goat. And, and, and we're accountable for this message of, of helping him. And so the choice we have to make here today is do you want to be a sheep church or do you want to be a goat church? 
Matthew 25, Jesus said it really clearly. He goes, all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people. The shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Do we want to follow him in faith, trusting him, trusting the power that he has given to us to take hold of the principalities of darkness, to cast out the evil spirits, to to recant the the demonic practices that we've made advertently, intentionally, and inadvertently. Now, I'm talking about some supernatural things in the heavenly realms. A lot of us don't even want to go there because we're afraid. And, and it's that fear that God tells us isn't him. That's not what he gave us. He, he said it very clearly to uh, Paul to Timothy in, in uh, First Timothy. Look at this verse. You've heard it. You've said it, I'm sure, many a times. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Now, just stop and pause for a second. More than likely, I would think that 90% of you have had your hands laid upon you, at least when you were baptized. And if you weren't, then please come forward so we can baptize you. Please come forward so we can lay our hands upon you and anoint you with God's spirit. And, and for God has not given us, now check this out, a what? Say that one more time. Spirit of fear. Not just fear, but a spirit of fear. See, fear is not just a belief system or a concept. It is a spirit. It is a, something in the heavenly realms that exists that God has given us the authority to claim and, and, and to subdue in the name of Jesus. So we have children in, in, in depression. We have children in anxiety. We have friends and neighbors who are addicted. And we have, we have depression. These are spiritual things that we can, with the blood, boldly, with the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus, subdue in his name so that they are bound and held and do not have the ability to move against the church so that Jesus can restore newness and life and people can be set free and they can walk in the, in the destiny of who they are and giving their love to the world and sharing the gospel with one another. And so that the church is not a house of cripples, but the church is a place of warriors praying for one another, as Hebrews said, encouraging one another, proclaiming the blood of Jesus over what is attacking us so that we can walk this world and be set free in the power and the love and the sound mind, the self-discipline, never to be worried about what other people are thinking about us, knowing that quite well we're just filling out this destiny from God to be who we are supposed to be. So guess what? You are the who. You are the who. You are the who is restoring the world. You are the who that is helping the youth. You are the who that is helping young families. You are the who that is helping marriages. You are the who that are helping your own lives, claiming your own authority. You know, one time I had the flu and no one was around. I, 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 I caught the flu. Everyone was gone. I was feeling it coming down. 
And this is pre whatever, you know, viruses we got going on now. I wasn't all that alarmed. I wasn't in fear. I didn't have anybody else around. I just laid hands on myself. Because the word says that if you're sick, just lay hands and pray the authority of Jesus and be healed. And I did that and it went away. So you don't even need everybody else. You just need Jesus to be the who. To be the who. So let's walk this out. Let me put this challenge to you. Some of you are sitting by, and I hope everyone got one of these. You saw on one side, uh, it's, it's a picture of our logo. We are uh, we're redesigning our logo. We, uh, we, did a, we did a quick little survey of some uh, millennials because I'm not one, and um, we need to keep the church young. So we asked them. So, we're, but we're asking you, so we're asking your opinion. But here's the walking out part. Here's the back. Here's the back. Here's the back. This is where the rubber can hit the road. Here's a bunch of things our staff kind of brainstormed this week about being the who. Now, you can think of other things. That's fine. But we were just looking at what is God asking us to be, to be walking in faith, going to Rodriguez High. Because it's, it's interesting to me that it'd be very... It'd be, it'd be very convenient for me because I, I don't do sitting around being passive all that well. I, 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 you know, God is disciplining me about that. Yeah, go ahead and raise your hands if you need some more of those. Um, there need like three over here if we can, four or five. Uh, hopefully we have enough. If we don't have enough, we'll make some more. But I don't do sitting around all that greatly. And if God just, I think God in his grace just knows us that if we're not just going to sit around and wait for God to open up another building, prayerfully at 320 Campus Lane, for us to move into. He has moved us somewhere else, but not just to sit around and wait, to do something, to be moving into his, into his restoration plan. So... What we have here on this paper is a place that we see God could move through us to be involved in his restoration plan as we get to Rodriguez. So please look it over. Give us your top two of what you think you could be involved in. If you've got another one, write it down. Please give us that, that idea. And, and we, we're going to just, you know, kind of pull that over. And, and some of the staff and some of the ministry leaders and men and women are going to pray about them a little bit. And we're going to be led by God in faith to help restore this community that we live in. Because that's why we're here. We are the who. Amen? Now, I know you're all reading the, that, that piece of paper. Just repeat after me. I am the who. I am the who. And I won't get fooled again. And I won't get fooled again. Dang it, you said it before I ran Okay. And for those of you that are under age 30, you missed a really good time. So that's, that's my prayer is honestly that, you know, I really do see that God's got some awesome places for us to go. And I don't mean buildings and I don't mean, you know, all the accoutrements of, of, of what Rodriguez is going to be in terms of, you know, kind of exciting new place in the community. But talking about spiritually. You know, I'm talking about if you've ever had that experience of, of, of watching somebody's heart just have something honestly just evil melt away and fall off of them. 
and the, the you know the tears are coming down, or 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 you know, or or they're just you know that a smile that's just beaming so hard, you know that their their cheek muscles are hurting. You know, um, if you've ever had that experience, that's what I'm talking about in a collective manner. Because, you know, it, it's just not about, it's not, Lord knows, it's not about numbers of people that, that sure, you know, sign me up. But, you know, the, the measure of a church and its impact is by the restoration that it makes. You know a church is healthy and making an impact if, if people around that community are different. Marriages are being saved. Children are knowing who they belong to. If they're going through anxiety, they, they overcome it with body, mind, and spirit. You just see this. There's a spiritual splash that it doesn't matter how big that congregation is. They can make a huge ripple in the spiritual realm for God. And and I know that's a, a place of oneness and depth of intimacy. It doesn't occur until the intimacy and the depth gets stronger and stronger. You know, I shouldn't say it doesn't occur. God can do anything. He, he can make that happen. Typically, though, when people dive into God and go, I want to be used, I want to be, I want to go with you. It's just this rich thing that, that it's, it's incredibly a part of it, it. It it helps you wake up in the morning and realize this is why I breathe. This is why I breathe. Let's say a prayer. Father God, thank you, Lord, for this time together. And thanks for this word. And I pray, God, that you would continue to pour out through us. We want to be your who. Lord, help us to move free. Get out of the prison. The walls are down. Move out. Move with you. Bring people into our life that need your prayers, that need the blood of Jesus spoken over them, that need to hear God loves you. I thank you for um, just the brief little testimony I heard from someone who came forward today to say that that's what God did with them. So I thank you, Lord, for putting us in this place, in this community. It seems weird to say, but thank you for darkness because it's an opportunity for great light. May we continue to be a body of light. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Amen.